I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Behind-the-scenes experience in Washington and around the world. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon and welcome everyone to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on a Monday. And this is our last broadcast from Tokyo, Japan, where we've been covering the G20 Interfaith Forum. Uh, and I'm thrilled to have join us uh, on the program today. Uh, and uh, Kenny, former Prime Minister of Ireland, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleased to be here, Boyd. Yeah, thank well, you. This is your first Interfaith Forum that uh, you've been a part of. It's an interesting cross-section between faith, religion, and, and politics, and uh, you step right into the into the breach there. Give me some of your initial reactions yeah, well, to the conference. Obviously, having served as uh, Prime Minister, or Taoiseach, as we call it in Ireland, for a number of years, we have a system of having of having discussions as needs be with the different churches of the different faiths. But I was privileged to be asked by Dr. Handa to become a, a patron of the, of the uh, Sustainable Goals and uh, World Development. So this is my first interfaith forum. I genuinely believe that all of the major issues that affect um, humanity, from climate change to migration, all the issues arising from either either terrorism or political uh, political conflict and other kinds of conflicts, are all discussed here. I think there is a real need for a structure to actually make an impact with the political powers that be, yeah. namely the G8, the G20, the United Nations, the European, uh, the European Council, and so on. And remember that as, as somebody who was at the heart of politics for so long, it's always, if you have an interest, right. gratifying to, to have organizations of a, cr- a, a cross-spectrum come to you and say, actually, here's an issue that affects your country. Um, we would like to assist in, in, in work in making you know, uh, benefits available for, uh, for, for hundreds of millions of people across the globe. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, as you've been uh, going through the, the conference here, there, there were a few things that you said that really struck me and I think struck a nerve for a, a lot of, of the participants here. Uh, and that is you, you really challenged them to, to not be content just having this conversation amongst themselves, mm-hmm. but to really position it in a way that the, the members of the G20 Economic Summit that will meet here in Osaka uh, later this month, that they would actually care about it or note it or do it. Why is that so critical? I, I think it's important in the sense that you can have – so, so many fora around the world right. uh, that they hold conferences for three and four days and there isn't anything ever as a consequence about them. But people come and give of their academic training or their experience or their wisdom or whatever and they make fine speeches and, and produce fine recommendations. But 
little seems to happen afterwards and they continue on on their own individual silos as it were doing very good work in many cases but you see for things to really happen you need political buy-in you need the clout of governments and the clout of regions of governments together and the only way that that happens is when prime ministers or presidents as the case might be in different countries really understand that if they feel for their politics they can make an impact upon people's lives by making decisions right and that's the point so for the G20 which on its own website uh, clearly points out that it discusses issues like deforestation, migration, refugees, children, health, water, food security. These are the issues that are being discussed here. So I would like to see that under the stewardship of Prime Minister Abe, who's a very influential Prime Minister in mm. Japan, this is the first time this uh, the G20 is being held in Japan, right. that at least they would note uh, the recommendations from the Interfaith Forum because these were a set of issues that were debated and discussed here in a sort of a cross-sectoral uh, set of circumstances, and that these would be of importance to the G20. The value in that, Boyd, is that it then allows for people or countries or individual sectors to follow through with individual prime ministers. Right. Um, and in many cases, it's always important that people be asked for their assistance and asked for their wisdom. And if governments uh, so desire afterwards, apply resources to make those things happen. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's so interesting yesterday uh, to have a, a panel with uh, yourself, uh, former Prime Minister Cameron uh, from the UK, former Prime Minister Key from New Zealand. Uh, so to have three of you on the stage, uh, and I think it was a fascinating conversation in leadership uh, in terms of why it's so important for everyone to engage. Uh, it used to be in the business community, they would say, well, we're, we're in the business of business, so we don't do politics. Uh, but now, of course, they say we are in business, so we do politics. I think for a long time in the faith communities, it's been we do faith, so we don't do politics. But what you're saying is because you do faith, you have to be engaged in politics. Well, you, you, you've always had the conflict here. Because uh, where you have freedom of religious practice, which is very important for the beliefs that people have, it's where the difference inter-religion or between religions uh, that have caused you know so much difficulty over the centuries. So understanding uh, and all of these things is so important. It was it was it was Nelson Mandela who said, you know, um, if if you want to make peace with your enemy, you work with your enemy. And then he becomes your partner, right? So, in the case of in the case of these interfaith fora, they clearly understand that they are not the governments. Right. They don't write the agenda. They don't make the decisions about those agendas, but they have an important input to make to those agendas. Mm. And that's the that's the that's the difference. In in Ireland, for instance, when I became prime minister or Taoiseach, there was always the issue about children. Mm. Family is very important in an Irish context. So we actually held a referendum. Uh, on children's rights, to put that into a written constitution. You appointed a senior minister for children, the first time ever in the history of the state, mm. and set up an agency to deal with child and family. As a, a political demonstration of interest and intent and followed through on what people were actually saying. So if government listen and government engage, government can act. And then sectors can work with government in the interests of 
the different yeah. the different, oh, uh, that's the different so fantastic pieces. if you're just joining us we are very pleased today to be joined by uh and kenny uh former prime minister of ireland uh in your remarks today again closing session here in in tokyo uh, you said a couple of things that i think really stirred the audience and, and struck the audience and i wonder if you would share with our listeners you talked about kissinger uh and some of his comments around the u.s china relationship uh, and then you also talked about how it's inviting people to walk with you uh, that is the real key to the whole process. Yeah, Henry Kissinger was, was and is an extraordinary man with an extraordinary legacy. But he he wrote the preface to a, to a book of extraordinary pictures of China uh, from the 1970s onwards. Um, and in that preface he, and, and forward, he made the remark um, that the, 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 one of the great challenges facing the planet is not just the collision of two big countries like United States and China, but rather the the failure of big countries to collaborate and uh, work with each other. Um, and, and that's the more important issue, that irrespective of, of, of their beliefs or whether you get on with them or whether you don't, you have a responsibility as people who live on this planet uh, to make it work for the, for the generations coming behind us. I often quote President Kennedy uh, when he said during the course of one of his speeches, we all inhabit the same planet, we all breathe the same air, and we are all mortal. Mm. Doesn't get any better than that. Any surprises for you in uh, in this trip? Um, I'd only been to Japan on, on uh, two occasions in the past. This is a country of 80 million people that is uh, that has a very particular and special culture. It's a country with which the European Union has just concluded a major trade deal which abolishes tariffs to allow for greater productivity and greater engagement between the peoples of Japan and the peoples of the European Union. These are the, these are the ways of collaboration and working together that can benefit humanity. And you apply that on a global scale, uh, things can be so much better. And those 67 million people who are displaced can at least have some comfort given to them that governments can act in their interests with provision of education, food, water, opportunity, families, and all of that. Yeah, wonderful. I'm going to sneak in one last question uh, because you were you were prime minister in a in a very tough period of time. Economy was was struggling. The division within Ireland was uh, at really high points. Uh, I think there's a lot of leadership lessons. Can you give us just a quick couple takeaways from what you learned as prime minister in navigating that kind of division and conflict and a really tough economy? Well, when I became prime minister in 2011, interest rates were 15% plus. Um, unemployment was 15.2. You were blocked out of all the international markets. The Troika, the IMF and the, and the, and the uh, European Central Bank uh, were, in, were in Ireland. You'd lost your sovereignty to an extent. So you had a, a, an 80 billion euro burden down on the backs of the workers because banks collapsed, right. therefore mortgages were in trouble, the construction sector collapsed, and you had a mass hemorrhage of emigration. So what do you do? You start with yourself. You cut the salary. You take away all the perks from the ministers. Mm-hmm. Take away their state cars. Take away their state drivers. You discuss with the trade unions about the state of the nation's finances. We actually cut public expenditure by 20% with no strike. Mm, because amazing. people said, we are all in this together. Government said, we will pay you back when the money comes in. We said we create 100,000 new jobs that would pay uh, sufficiently, that taxes could be paid on those to invest in facilities for people. And since then, we've been the, the um, 
the beneficiaries of all of that, unemployment is now less than 4%. Interest rates are zero. You've been the fastest growing economy in Europe for the last five years. And uh, we have more people working in Ireland than ever before. And our confidence has risen to the extent that while American industry in Ireland employs 150,000 people, Irish companies now employ 100,000 Americans across 50 states. Mm, fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, former Prime Minister Kenny, thank you so much for being with us on Inside Sources today. Boyd, good luck to you and safe flight home. Thank you. Great, uh, great leadership lessons uh, from a great leader who's uh, had a great influence here at the G20 Interfaith Forum in Tokyo, Japan this week. All right, stay with us. When we come back, we'll be joined by Sharon Eubank, uh, also part of the G20 Interfaith Forum. Don't go anywhere. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources. We'll be right back. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Uh, we are doing our last broadcast from Tokyo, Japan, as part of the G20 Interfaith Forum, and very pleased to be joined now uh, by the director of Latter day Saint Charities and a counselor in the General Relief Society Presidency, Sharon Eubank. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. You had to come all the way to Japan to, <laughs> to speak to the Deseret News. <laughs> It's a it's a big deal. Uh, well, this is uh, you've been coming to these events now, and uh, you were in Argentina last year. Now here in in Tokyo, what were some of your uh, your takeaways from this year's conference? I think this is my fourth uh, G twenty interfaith conference, and I've been surprised how they have developed more and more. This conference, particularly in Japan, was meaningful because of the level of government actors who mm-hmm. came. So there were three former prime ministers: David Cameron from the UK and and to Kenny from uh, Ireland and also John Keyes from New Zealand, that really upped the the engagement. Yes. We were learning lessons from them. They were listening to us. And I think that kind of exchange is really important. Yeah. It was interesting in the uh, the panel that you were on today as you gave your remarks. I, I love the way that the group was introduced. That these are leaders not because of their religious knowledge, but because of their knowledge of serving other people. Uh, and that seems to be such a, a a binding mechanism uh, for everyone here at the conference, that there's opportunities to serve and make a difference. We, we just watched as we were coming in to record uh, 2,000 people sitting in a hall who were told to just sit still and their lunch would be delivered to them. And they were passing these bento boxes down the row. But, but what have you learned from some of, some of your peers here in terms of coming together around opportunities to make a difference? You know, in the panel I was in, it was uh, David Moore, who's my colleague, uh, soon to be at BYU. But he quoted the Book of Mormon scripture. He said, when you're in the service of your fellow being, you're only in the service of your God. And for Latter-day Saints, that's that's true and very meaningful. But I think, although it isn't expressed in that way, that's true from the bento boxes being yeah. passed down the row <laughs> to all of these different faith actors who are taking their most sincere, sacred beliefs and putting them into action for benefit, not just for their own congregations, but just to create a better world. And so they, although they don't express it in the way that the Book of Mormon does, they are living that creed. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting. Uh, the, the phrase that kept going through my mind watching all of you uh, engage in these really significant conversations and dialogue uh, was oneness is not sameness. How have you experienced that here in Japan? You know, I'll go back to, I was in a in a dinner with Orthodox rabbis and Elder El Tom Perry was the host. Mm. It was shortly before he died. And he said, we want Catholics to be better Catholics. We want Jews to be better Jews. We want Latter-day Saints to be Latter-day Saints. Yeah. And he, 
from an apostle, I was so glad that he was saying, we value the differences. We all look at truth from a lens, and, and that lens is very important because we're all children of our Father in heaven, and he's guiding us through his spirit to greater yeah. and greater truth. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, as part of your, your conversation today, uh, you went through a, a whole host of, of different examples of how we need to really engage, how religious groups need to engage in the political process and uh, dealing with all kinds of anything from planet to, to people to peace. Uh, share a couple thoughts with us in terms of just re- reflections on how you're seeing this play out around the world. You know, being the president of Latter-day Saint Charities, we're working with governments all the time on, on difficult problems that are in their society and, and offering things that we can do to help, but they have to do certain things themselves. And one of the things that I've noticed is we don't speak the same language. We're used to speaking in a faith context about certain things. And they're used to speaking a secular language about, we're talking about the same thing, but we don't know it because our terminology is different. So one of the things is my takeaway, but I think it's helpful for everybody. We have to learn to speak each other's languages. Sherry Dew told me a story. She was she was commissioned by George Bush, the first president, George Bush, to, to speak and be a representative about the family at the U.N. And she practiced walking from her hotel room to the U.N. every day, talking about very common things in our faith in language that the U.N. could understand. Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting exercise that all of us could practice. Uh, that's so good. It's one of the things that I really noticed uh, in the forum uh, was that normally when we communicate, we do, we communicate in the way that makes sense to us, but the only thing that matters is can we make it make sense uh, to someone uh, in a way that w- would move things forward for them. Uh, I want to have you share, and if you're just joining us, uh, we're, we're really pleased to be joined by Sharon Eubank, uh, who is the director of Latter-day Saint Charities, and uh, the, the great work that you see on the ground in terms of really making a difference. But you shared in the in the forum today here in Tokyo, Japan, uh, a, a story that I think one of your colleagues shared in terms of uh, someone who was testifying uh, in the UK uh, about being a, a refugee. Uh, share that story with us. This is actually an experience that I had. So I was I had been invited to participate in a subcommittee at the House of Lords in England, in, in the British Parliament. And as part of that, it was about sexual violence and how to reduce sexual violence. A woman who had been freed from ISIS captivity three weeks before yeah. was, was brought and she testified, and they asked her a lot of questions about, do you want to go to school, and how's your health, and what about your family? She ignored every question that they asked because her only laser-focused idea was, she said, what will you do for my 3,300 sisters who are still in captivity? Still and she just forced them to pay attention to this one question, the most important thing to her. And it was it created, because it was so laser-focused, it created a response. They had to respond to her. She was so credible. Yeah, that, uh, that kind of focus, I think, is a real critical piece as well. Uh, you've also talked about the, the need to, to communicate, and uh, you called it a little bit of a PR 101, uh, in terms of making sure that the, the great things that are being done in, by faith communities, in faith communities, across faith communities, uh, get out. What are some of the things that you hope come out of this conference uh, to to elevate that conversation. Some very pertinent questions were asked in this conference. Elder Gong asked one. He told a story about the Japanese emperor who asked this focused question of his community, why aren't there any more butterflies in my garden? What has happened that there aren't butterflies in my garden? And then, you know, the whole community organized around yeah. what is the problem. Uh, Grasa Michal talked about, do we have the will to educate refugees in the next generation equally so that they have chances, you know, beyond 
their experience as refugees. And some of those really focused questions, I think, are the most important things. Yeah, excellent. Uh, final takeaways uh, from uh, uh, just an, uh, an inspiring weekend here in Tokyo. Again, government and religious groups, uh, sometimes those those groups are not uh, trusting or not communicating the same way, as you, as you said before. Uh, what's the one thing that uh, we always get to the therefore what? And I thought you did a brilliant job on the panel of getting to some of those therefore what kinds of questions. What's your therefore what? What do you hope people take away from this today? There is sometimes a perception driven by uh, outlying examples in the news that religion is the source of conflict, that it's what's creating all of the conflict. And for me, the takeaway is the second something becomes violent, it stops being religion. That's about power. Yeah. But religion is the only thing strong enough in people's hearts to be able to pull this back into moderation and the cooperation that we need to be able to fight the extreme violence. It has to come from faith. Yeah, fantastic. Sharon Eubank, thanks for joining us on Insight Sources today. Thank you, Boyd. It's my privilege. All right. There it is. That's going to wrap it up for our Monday, our last broadcast from Tokyo, Japan. I appreciate you following along. And as always, as you go out in the world today, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference.